if a country is a democ democracy and it votes on one man, one woman, one vote, then if a party wins on those votes, how does it become Hindu majoritarian? It doesn't. And which critic of the government of India, which newspaper or editor, anybody else has been hauled up. I can't name anyone. Namaskar. Thank you for having me over. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a topic that I have myself been very fond of and I've written about it. My book is a narrative, really, about narratives. And our narratives play a role in global uh, governance of, of dominance and control. These narratives are hidden at times. At times, they're quite obvious. You know what's coming. But the overall narrative has always been of superiority, of uh, nobility of, of uh, magnanimity, but actually this quest is how to control and dominate the rest of the world. Since you cannot do it only with armed forces, you cannot do it just with economic power, you also cannot do it with just technology nowadays. What you need is a constant perception in the recipient's mind about yourself, about how he thinks of you as a country, as a people, and automatically tends to look up to you to behave like you want him to behave. This is not uh, something that is a switch on, switch off situation. This is not as if a government edict will be issued, a propaganda team will sit around doing it. It's done over years, it's done over generations. And it's done not just by the governments, it's done by the people as a whole. So that's what I talk about in my book. I, my sources are Western because the West has been the main um, narrative builder of the globe these days. It is their story, it is their civilization, it is, um, you know, their way of life that we all tend to follow in our quest for perhaps modernity or, uh, or acceptability, that we tend to do that. It's not all of it is wrong. I mind you, I'm not saying that. Not all of what they say is wrong. But there are certain perceptions that need to be corrected. There are certain historical facts that need to be reassessed. You know, if you are 6,000 years old, but our history is 600 years old maybe, or less, we don't know much about our past. And the last first 60 years, we did practically nothing to correct it. So now, 
we have to reassess ourselves and rebuild our stories. My book is based on Western sources, as I mentioned, primarily because that's where the stories came from. My book is not with any malice. It's not with any criticism of the systems. It is to tell the reader how the system works and how we have to adapt to a similar system to make our voice heard. 90% of the world's media is controlled by the West, by the Western private sector. We never realized that. Reuters, CNN, BBC, New York Times, The Economist, that's where the news, that's where the opinion, that's where the ideas come from. Then you have powerful think tanks who contribute to this. Then you have other group, group interests, the military industrial in, in complex, the, the technology world of today. They all contribute to making your narrative. Having done that, we have to now try and put the record straight. Of course, there will be obstacles to us. Of course, there will be people who will not accept it. And we don't have the means to spread the word like the West does today. We have nothing com comparable to Reuters. We have nothing comparable to CNN. We don't even have our journalists sitting in major cities in the world. All we get about the Western news is agency reports given by them about themselves. We don't know our version of their story. But they are quick to get our version of our story on their papers in the sense what they they can pick and choose what they want to write about us because they have representatives. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a story um, of how India has been changing now. Now the time has come for us to, to do something. 1952, many of you were not even born. It was just five years after independence. We sent a cricket team to England to play cricket with the former empire. And there was Freddie Truman bowling at our batsman. And at one match, we were four down for no score. We lost the series 3-0, came home beaten, mentally, figuratively. 2020, we sent a team to Australia. In the first match, first innings, they are all out for 36. They lose the match. But at the end of the series, they win the series. When they win the series, that, that means your, your, your whole mindset is altered. You're self-confident. A new India has emerged. And as my teacher, Brother McCann, used to say at school, that I judge the character of a person on the playing fields. So now you can see that there is a new India emerging. We need to, to channelize that. 
we need to write our story, we need to write it well. That is the brunt of my, my book. Truth is not the only God in this narrative building. It is, truth is incidental. Remember, Bush's, uh, when Bush wanted to go to war in Iraq, what was the narrative? That Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and there was Al-Qaeda there. None of it was true. Everybody believes, said it, it was there, or they knew it wasn't no, true. They went to war. They didn't find Al-Qaeda. They didn't find the world weapons of mass destruction. But nobody really bothered after that. The war just continued. They went into Afghanistan 20 years ago to get freedom and democracy. And today they are ready to leave with Taliban in charge. What happened to that narrative? So these are narratives that you build for the time being. There are other narratives that you build for controlling. After all, how did the British control us? Not through masses of troops straight from Kent and Derby. They were controlled through Indians, by Indians, for the British. Because they built that story that we are superior to you. Our way of life is better. Our values are better. They never, they never talked about Chalukyas. They never talked about Indian victories in battle. One even doubts now whether Alexander actually won the war in uh, uh, battle in uh, with Porus. They called it Hydaspus, actually Jalem. But the story goes that he won the battle. Okay, so that's what I was trying to tell you that, you know, when, when, you, when it suits the occasion, you change the designation. When, when uh, Reagan was fighting the evil empire of the Soviet Union, he welcomed the Mujahideen from Afghanistan and equated them with the founding fathers of the United States. And today, their successors are battling United States. So history has a funny way of playing, playing around. So uh, that's it. That's my book, How to Create Your Narrative. We must know who we are. We must correct facts of history. And then we must look forward. There will be falls. But remember, as they say, it's not the fall that matters. It's how you rise that matters. So we have to learn to rise. And we can't just let the government say, That won't happen. We have to, it has to be an effort by the Indian for the Indian. But we are, we are becoming a nation of limited liabilities, you see. The people of limited life. We, we seem to have only limited liability towards the government or expect everything from the government. That, that is uh, also not being a responsible citizen. 
So I and my I and my basically I I I really have given the gist of the book. Now there are several chapters in it. One is about how Hollywood has been used by the Americans to create imagery. How BBC has been used by by the West and the Chinese and the and the and the Russians have their ways of doing things. I've also had um, how 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 the British played their empire in the Middle East by using religion to curb nationalism. And nationalism has become a, a a bad word when it comes to non-American, non-British, non-European nationalism, because it's not. I'm not supposed to be nationalist and do my own thing. I am supposed to be a consumer, not a fellow who's going to produce things and be a competitor. Look at the way they are there. They're getting nervous about about uh, our ability to produce uh, COVID vaccine. They don't want to give you any credit. The other day, I saw a map of the world describing which part of the world had behaved best or featured best in tackling COVID. And would you believe it? They said the United States was the best, and we were among the worst. Those are the kinds of maps that go around, not based on truth, based on the idea that I am superior. How can anybody else do better than I? And and the way they are fighting each other now about which vaccine to be used and not to be used or to be sold. I believe already Pfizer is saying that uh, you know they 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 they're worried about the pricing. So they, they don't want to lose out on these uh, Indians selling them cheap. So that's it. Any questions? Uh, Vikramji, in your book, you talk about Kennedy murder and very interesting anecdotes and the narrative that was cre created around it. I would like you to elaborate on it. It's a complicated story. The thing is, we have to assume that there were vested interests in the system that didn't want Kennedy to succeed. And if you look at how the sequence of events takes place, you wonder, well, you, you, you begin to seriously feel that there was a huge, huge conspiracy behind it. Kennedy was for peace. He wanted to pull out of Vietnam. They were vested interests, didn't want that. Kennedy is shot dead. Johnson becomes president. And the scale of American involvement in Vietnam shoots up. Coincidence, perhaps. Then his Kennedy's brother, who's another person who wanted peace, who wanted to investigate. There is the Warren Commission report is put together rapidly, voluminous book, which obviously nobody is going to read. And Oswald is the, the culprit. But nobody ever 
talked about the third bullet. They never talked about the bullet that came from behind. The one that came from right from the front that hit him and he, his head fell backwards. So he was going to reinvestigate. He was going to sue for peace. He had to be put out of the way. So he's done in. His, assassin, his murderer is killed. And the man who killed his murderer is also dead. End of story. Now, you, you can go round and round and round. They'll be called conspiracy theories. They'll be called everything else. But to me, it still doesn't look as if reading from what I did read, that it was all that simple. And it will remain a mystery throughout. It will never get solved. Those who will doubt will continue to doubt. That's how it will remain. Sir, you mentioned that, uh, you know, two state powers, America using Hollywood, um, England using the church. They're both use of uh, state power to control narratives. At the same time, you mentioned that Indians have outsourced all of this to to the state and are not taking enough responsibility individually. What should be, what is the ask of Indian citizens? I don't think I've said that the Americans have handed over this, this uh, in the sense that the state has handed over um, narrative building to Hollywood. I've said Hollywood has been used by the state. What I, what I also want is that our, our systems should similarly use all these channels of arts and literature in a way that it helps building the narrative. And I have also not said that British use the church to promote themselves. They, they, they use the they used religion as a part of their own governance. I'm relating it to what the allegation that is made against Indian Indians is that you, you're using the Hindu religion to propagate yourself. No, we are a Hindu nation in the sense that we are a Hindu majority country, but we are a Republic of India. Where everybody can live. The, the ethos will be the majority. And the majority will be democratically elected. And, and if the majority happens to be Hindu, it will be a Hindu ethos. That's all that, that is there. So we cannot, uh, I do not mean to say that we should use Hinduism as only a a means. No, I'm also not saying that the, that Hollywood and all uh, Bollywood should be controlled by the state. No, not, not at all. Nothing should be controlled by the state, which is free. The freedom of the arts, of thought, that is not to be controlled. But there has to be a certain kind of a guidance a prioritization, a feeling that this is what the country needs, that we need to, to project ourselves. We don't have to do chest beating at home all the time. 
because that's what the others will pick up. And there is also no point in all of us complaining when somebody criticizes you. By all means, let them criticize. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. The idea is to then try and do the same to them. If, if they are making stories about us, we should be able to make stories about them. So one more thing that Rahul Devan probably added in his question was that if the state power is to be used, what do you ask of the private citizens? Or what, are, what is your take on the role of the private citizens? You know, just being a good citizen is good enough. You don't have to do anything extraordinary. You don't have to, uh, you know, run down your country all the time. We make out stories and we pass it on to foreigners. They love that. You know, I've, I've seen how, how we, some of us, go outside and cringe and behave. Oh, no, no. We ain't like that only. What to do? You know, we, we are very corrupt people. We don't go on saying that. Just... Just be a good Indian. That's all you have to be. You don't have to go around waving flags and saying, I'm an Indian. Just be a good, honest citizen. Reflect the values of the system. Take pride in yourself. Take pride in your past. Not, not let them run you down. Mohanjadaro was supposed to be an Aryan thing. Come on. We believe that. We have our own writers saying that. We don't challenge it. We don't challenge it. So these are things that we have to do ourselves. Collectively, subconsciously. There will be no classes held that boys and girls, this is how you're going to talk to about yourself. Your, your history books will teach you that. You know, unless you revive your, revise your books, your, your way of thinking, that's how it will come to the children. They will learn. And as I say, it's a generational thing. It won't come. Everything will be all right. You know, nothing is all that bad either, but still, you're doing pretty okay. Uh, sir, another very interesting thing I garner from your book is that a premeditated dislike for the BJP and the NDA government uh, has added to the Western narrative of India and which is being encouraged by the left-dominated media or what Arnab would call the Lutyens media. And the term fascist is bandied about, but no critic has so far been stifled uh, of the government. Would you like to say no. something about that? No, these these are these are all terminologies that are being used by people who have lost out in this game of politics 2014 onwards. You know, the 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 established the establishment as it were has changed. Those who could who felt they they they, they owned the turf. I'm no longer there. So, 
at first it was said that oh this government they have no experience they'll never last first of all they will never come to power then oh they they won't last it's the minority government they came with the majority which was a shock and then they did not give any any credence to anybody of the old establishment which was another shock then this party does it makes the other has the audacity not only win the next time but win it with a bigger majority uh, that has sent the ultimate shock waves that if you don't put a stop to this then it is then they are really history that they they you know the the, the whole system is changing we haven't realized that india does not reside only in new delhi or in or in the in the in the in the in the, in the clubs of calcutta bombay or delhi or chennai or wherever it's out there on the streets it's out there in in kanpur it's out there in chatisgarh that's where your country is now thriving that's that's what uh, uh we they missed out and this government hasn't missed that out i mean why 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 would why would uh, why would they not vote for him because he is the do you remember the first speech he gave in on redford how many of us were shocked literally shocked at the way he gave us truths about us so acche din to un logon ke aaye na jinko they got a washroom in the house those who got piped got a gas or gas ka chula who got money direct into their accounts unke acche din hamare acche din to hamesha the we were all happy we then i didn't live without a bathroom attached to the house to my bedroom so for look at the way it has changed the mindset and and okay there were mistakes i think uh, the re the demonetization was was could have been handled better gst could have been handled better those are mistakes the learning curve but i think everything else has been going on just fine why do you think they, they keep winning so the, the we have to understand that when you are liberal you must accept the other point of view otherwise there is no difference between a liberal and a bigot if you are not going to accept another point of view if you are not going to accept that i am wrong that you may be right so that's that's is where we have now nationalism is is evil in the west for other reasons for economic reasons for reasons of control 
Atmanirbhartha is, is a good, good Indian slogan, but we have to play it with care. We're not giving the impression that foreign, inter, foreign uh, participation is out. It's not import substitution. It's participation. It's my ability to produce my own goods. So, uh, make in India is also not import substitution. We're still in the, in, in the international market. We want to remain there. But it's fashionable to say that nationalism is evil. Why only Indian nationalism? Why not American nationalism? The American president takes his oath of office on the Bible. They talk about a Christian civilization. That's fine. They have a Christian Democratic Party, Christian Socialist Party. Those are all acceptable. So I'm following them. Uh, recently, UGC has um, proposed a draft, which is for undergraduate courses, history courses. And they are, uh, this is actually, I see it as a revolutionary draft because they have included things that, that were sidelined for a very long time. For example, to uh, rename Harappan civilization as Indus Saraswati, because the moment you call it Indus Saraswati, it shows a continuity. It shows that, you know, and it defames the whole Aryan invasion theory. So mm. while that is there, a lot of people are questioning that, you know, the existence of Saraswati. While there are archaeological uh, findings, while there are, uh, you know, the Vedas confirm that, still it is a problematic topic for a lot of people. Uh, the one thing that I couldn't believe is that they're also including Ramayana and Mahabharata as a cultural heritage of India. Uh, but along with that, the problem comes that, you know, please, at the same time, when you say that this is a part of history, you should be, which, be, which means the Hindu society should be ready to criticize or at least be ready to listen to the criticism. And that is of Rama and Lakshma, uh, Lakshmana and the whole thing that happened. How do you mm -hmm. think that the society would be uh, ready for that? Are we ready for that? Uh, one very uh, amazing thing that I've seen is that Mughal history is called invasion. Not Mughal, I'm sorry. It's most of the Islamic uh, invasion is called invasion. However, the British rule is not called invasion. 1857 war, I think for the first time, will be called the first war of independence. And people have a problem because it was, I think, popularly coined by Savarkar. So they have a problem that, you know, this is again a sung <coughs> conspiracy. And last and uh, the one criticism that people have is that Mughal history is sidelined because two, 200 years of history should be glorified. And the problem is that we are trying to glorify the other kingdoms, especially the kingdoms in the southern part of the country, the kingdoms that were there in the um, west bank of, uh, of it. Yeah, so yeah. how do you see this move? And do you think, so one thing is that, you know, I see this thing as a positive change, but at the same time, I also see that we as in Hindus, we, the Hindu society, and I'm not just talking about Singh, Sangh, everyone, we need to uh, understand that if we want to include these things in our history, we should be prepared to face the criticism as well. How prepared do you think we are as a society? I'm so sorry for rambling for so long. I just need your opinion on that. The point is, we have to re rewrite our history. We have to go back to our roots 
I I do believe that. And when you, for instance, I maybe I'm missing out something um, about Harappan civilization, for instance, and renaming it. Of course, there will be criticism. We should have the facts to counter the criticism. If you don't have the facts, then obviously the other side wins. Whichever way you look at it, there will be criticism. There are enough left-oriented left people in this country who will criticize this. And I think this, talking about Hindu society, how it grew, you know, the Muslim society, how it grew. I don't think there is anything wrong in that. After all, Islam came to India. It wasn't born in India. It was not like Sikhism or Buddhism or Jainism. That was Hinduism. That were that were Indian growths. So there, there was a foreign element to it. It indigenized, that's different. So to be able to study the differences without malice is a good thing. I must understand my uh, Muslim neighbor and he must understand me. And it is best if you understand each other, if you study each other. If you don't study each other, then you are going by prejudices. So the, to say that this is divisive is not true. I can study the Christ, I can study Christianity and Judaism. Doesn't make me either way anti-Jewish or anti-Christian. So it is true that the Islamic there were Islamic invasions. There's no doubt about it. Not to call the British as invasions is perhaps uh, okay because they came as traders and then the rest of the time they did it by subterfuge, you know, by by pulling down this guy, pulling down one king with the help of the other one, cheating somewhere else, you know, misleading the third person, and then gradually acquiring territory bit by bit. Uh, so that it wasn't as if hordes of British soldiers came on horseback and invaded India and took away. They all, they all uh, built their empire using other Indians. So it's not an invasion. It was, what is it? It's collusion. And uh, the other one you said was, uh, uh, yes, this was more about the fact that 200 years of Mughal history earlier dominated the whole history yeah. chapter. Good now point, it is yeah. about the southern kings coming in, western kings coming in. Yeah, and one question, we probably, uh, just to emphasize in the beginning, uh, with the whole Ram Janabhumi movement and today the, you know, the Bhavya Mandir coming in, uh, Ram is a Bhagwan for us, no doubt. And Hindu Dharma is not... Uh, does not keep anyone above that. We have the right to criticize. We have the right to question everything. Yeah. 
but do you think that once ramayana and mahabharata becomes part of history the criticism will not be uh would be much wider and much deeper how prepared do you think the hindu society is for that quite honestly i don't know and i i'd be wrong to say that yeah we are all ready for it but um, i'm not too sure whether um uh, this this will not happen and this will not create a lot of uh, anger either way so yeah that we have to be careful in what we order ourselves and it is true that our history always used to end at the battle of plassey and at aurangabad or bijapur we never ever talked about what happened before that because to talk of that before would have given the native hindu against the occupying westerner an idea that these guys that we were good we can still be good to so keep them down don't tell them about their glorious past and let let it be said that the greeks won at the hydaspes/jlm not porus so you know these are these are long term narratives that are built into your psyche so i have a question like uh, we are talking about narrative so we are seeing the narrative is built up to 2014 but i think uh, it was from 1947 only that we have started our building narrative but first of all we have don't have money we were not having any money we were our economy was very down since our economy building up uh, we have seen a narrative also build up well it, it is true young man that divanch that we can also indulge in recreating history and recreating thought when we have the time and luxury that's true and uh, 2000 in 1947 we were really really poor and uh, we it was a question of survival first and no one really had the time to think of how to redo your history what were or to go back into the past the very idea that you were free was uh, was enough for most of us to say that you know now we are a free country so, but as you grow in life like as i you know i was 5 years old when we became independent i went to school when india was independent only for a year and a half my first school and the and the school was was fine it was it was it was a christian school but they didn't teach me they didn't they didn't teach us christianity but they also did not teach us history because for the sensible reason that if they would teach me history in the in 1947 the only history i knew would be the british history So we never knew any history for a long time because uh, schools didn't teach us. They didn't 
have books on indian history by indians that started coming much later even in college when we were doing it, two papers on history history was only about the sultanates and so on and the british that is why it is necessary now that we have we have the ability to to research and the willingness to research that we must spend our time rediscovering our roots a tree is as strong as its roots i got two views uh, about the media role of media so in the early part of the book i got a sense that media is basically you know uh, our government is basically telling them um that you know setting their narrative the government is is basically taking the lead and uh, the media is following that in setting the narrative but in the later part of the book like um, especially around uh, where you discuss the uh, islamic uh, you know fundamentalism and its um, effect on the european countries in that uh, i felt like you know uh, the role of media has actually overtaken the role of the government where in uh, they are leading in setting up the narrative and it basically ties the hands of the government in taking some action which would probably you know attract some wrath or so to say uh, of the, of the media <laughs> how, how do we reconcile those two views like earlier media was basically following the government order and now media is so powerful that you know government is uh, you know government's hands are tied uh, in terms of setting the narrative and quickly one more question i had around uh, the uh, you know the the western media uh, it is very powerful right so we we cannot avoid that so do you see any way of uh, co-opting the uh, western media in terms of like setting uh, india's narrative like how, how is there a way in fact yeah, because yeah. because they are they are very very like deeply uh, you know prejudiced uh, against the indian or the hindu culture so is there even a way that we can co-opt western media in setting our narrative thank you uh, sir my question is also related to this when the modi government came the very first thing i noticed was that they had very poor media management and now so many years down the line they still have very poor media management so please uh, your suggestions about that also first of all as a general rule media a free media is an essential ingredient of a democratic free government and criticism of the government is not dissent and dissent is not being anti national so if if that we accept that then we also accept the need to have a free independent media as one of the pillars of democracy now in the in the western world uh, coming back to uh, including baskar's comment the point is media in the west has generally been free 
free in the sense that it's controlled by a selected group of private corporations. Those corporations then determine the narrative for themselves, for their corporations, interwoven with the national interests. It's not as if the State Department in the United States or, or the British Foreign Office will tell newspapers to follow this particular line. But in the West, there is a kind of an unwritten understanding. What is good for the country is good for me, good for my corporation. And what is good for my corporation is good for the country. We don't have that here. We think if, if everything is done by uh, Ambani, Adani, or Tata, it has to be wrong. Uh, these are only making rich people richer. That is one aspect. So there the, the meshing of government ideals, government goals, and corporate goals are quite parallel. And they work in harmony most of the time. They go wrong here and there. They get into problems. That is another matter. So that, that is a system that they have adopted. And it has worked for them. They don't like us. Historically, that is true. We were on the wrong side of history from 47 with the socialists. We were seen as pro-Russian, pro-Soviet, even Soviet bloc. So we were disregarded or, or, or treated with suspicion throughout. We were not like other allies. And mind you, it was not necessarily, it was not necessary to be a democratic government to be a friend of the United States in the Cold War years. You could be the biggest dictator so long as you were a friend of the United States, an enemy of the Soviet Union, you were a friend. We were a democracy, but we were neither a, a, a lackey of the Soviet Union nor of the Americans but we were therefore not friends. And democracy was never given any bonus points. From there becomes your, your attitude towards Hinduism or nationalism. That these, these people will, will one day use this against us. Therefore, Hindu majoritarianism was born. Hindu majoritarianism was an expression that they've carved out themselves for us. It is not, if, if a country is a demo, democracy and it votes on one man, one woman, one vote, then if a party wins 
on those votes, how does it become Hindu majoritarian? It doesn't. And which critic of the government of India, which newspaper or editor or anybody else has been hauled up? I can't name anyone. There are, there are a few odd incidences, but there is no stopping anyone from saying anything on TV, in the newspaper, in the magazines, about the government. It is true that the handling of the media has been poor. You're, you're right when you say that we've, we've just, you can't, you can't not keep the media out of the system and expect them to then, yeah. So, uh, they could have handled them better. Maybe next time. Non-state actors in social media seem to be doing narrative building, political communication much better than governments. What are the reasons behind this? You see, social media and uh, first of all, I as an individual can say what I like on the social media and get away with it. Okay. Virtually. Unless you get the annoyance of the, the owners of Twitter like uh, uh, President Trump did. But I can say I have the freedom to say it. I have the freedom not necessarily to base my argument on facts. Governments have the problem that they have to respond with facts. It takes time. And handling social media is, I think, a particular skill which we haven't developed yet in this uh, in the government. We don't know how to how to you know react. So my my argument has always been that now we should start recruiting youngsters into this system who who know the system, who can work the system. You asked me to do it at my age, I never did be able to do it. It's a young man, the young girl. Who knows the who knows the rhythm? Who knows the system? Who feels the pulse? Who can use the same idiom to reply? So you know we are a, a different world. A bureaucrat bureaucrat is a different uh, animal. So you got to use. Uh, other flexible, imaginative tools to handle narratives. And narratives are so much better than counter-narratives. And when a government is going to take a policy decision, it must start the narrative first. It must start building up people's minds. To attune them ki ye hone wala hai. You can't do it for demonetization, but you can do it for other things. Create the situation. 
that receptivity increases. Acceptability is possible. So if you can do that, then it makes a world of difference on how you can then react on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever else. But anything you do in retaliation is only retaliation after all. Since the current regime came into picture, um, since 2014, we have seen certain developments. Um, for example, Kartarpur corridor happened, Doklam stand uh, standoff happened, and then Howdy Modi came into uh, the picture. So um, I personally feel that they, of course, uh, contributed in uh, building a soft power narrative. Um, however, what do you think is the road ahead? Uh, road ahead from here, from now on. Um, have we have we um, reached far enough in that line? And what do you think is uh, is going to be the role of cultural or linguistic um, things uh, which would shape it in a better manner? Um, for example, we have seen that um, there have been instances in the recent past where China is actually dominating when it comes to understanding their counterparts better because they have a very full fledged programs in their um, country where in specific uh, con uh, country study are uh, taking place. Um, and we personally feel that um, we, we really lack it when it comes to our country. So what's your thought, uh, thoughts on that? Sir, there is a question which maybe can be combined with this. Uh, mm -hmm. Aditya asks, how do you rate India's neighborhood policy? Because clearly Nepal and Sri Lanka have opened their options by siding with China. Also, has our response been good against China in the latest border skirmishes? Last, last question first. Our response to China in the latest skirmish has been adequate and forceful enough. It reflects the ch a change in attitude of the government as compared to the past. This, as well as Uri and Pulwama, would give you an indication that Indian, the Indian government will not take it lying down. We won't roll over and play dead. That said, tackling China across several levels is going to be a humongous task. They are ahead of us in many spheres. They are stronger than us. And then their leadership is not answerable to anyone except themselves. Here, our governments are answerable to other members of parliament, to media, to you and I. They're answerable. So they have to be careful in what they do. Tackling China militarily, economically, militarily is going to be very expensive. Economically has to be tried with trade and everything else. And culturally and socially is one aspect that we must 
maximize our use. You know, even opening out decent historical sites for tourists to come, there are so many of them which if we develop properly, it will bring people in, it will give them a different idea about yourselves and they will go back and send in more people. That's part of narrative building. You don't have to say anything, just show them. We don't have to do Bharatnatyam recitals every time. But, you know, let them come and see the country. Let them see your wonderful temples. Let, if, if you were to develop all our Buddhist sites, all our Buddhist sites, can you imagine the difference it will make to the entire Buddhist population of the region? That's, that's all it takes. But if you are not going to even have a proper road going to Sarnath, then how do you expect people to come? So these are things that we have to do ourselves. To, to, to send a message across. And messages will not go on pamphlets and then in, uh, on, on government declarations and center page newspapers. They will go by things that they see on the ground. I believe our railways are doing much better nowadays. I mean, at least the railway stations that I've seen look remarkably different from what I saw last seven, eight years ago. If we can do that, why can't we do everything else? And then coming to this question about Nepal and Sri Lanka and others uh, wanting to get close to China. Or, well, this is also partly a, a natural phenomenon where, you know, uh, a Nepalese once said, see, when I get up in the morning, I see India on my left side and China on my right side, and I don't know what to do with myself. So understand his predicament. He also has a problem. He's not necessarily against you, but he's also playing safe. Sometimes they overdo it. Let it be. Sometimes they will come, they will come back. It's so also with the with uh, Sri Lanka. Smaller countries have to be treated with greater sensitivity, with a greater um, understanding that we are we know we know what, what your problem is. So we accept you will go up to a point. But these are my red lines. But we, this is one, one neighbor we've never really paid much attention to, and that's Myanmar. We just don't seem to, it doesn't figure in our uh, psyche at all, because he's never given us any trouble. He never sent terrorists across his border. 
So we just let it be. Many of us don't even know it neighbors uh, India. So that that is our other problem. As a country uh, in the international scenario, in our own country, being constantly secretly surveyed. Uh, to see what we are doing and also to be more uh, open towards building our own temples or other things. Look, there will always be pressures on India, no matter what stage of development or what state of relationship we are with other countries. No country wants too many rivals. They would rather India be a country of consumers of their goods rather than a country of producing goods that they can make. So there will be various pressures on you, various governments will, United States will have its own acts on, on, on um, Iran and, and impose them on you and sanctions and so on, so forth. That's a way of life. That's how the globe is structured today. And we have, we are not that powerful as to flout all those rules. But we're also not weak enough, not so weak that we won't be able to carry our own weight when required. We, I do not recall of any any case where we have succumbed to pressure and given up our essential rights. Take the, take the, the, the nuclear test, for instance. So when it mattered, we did it. And we will remain like that. So that, that is something that the, that we have to face. There's no way out of it. So the, it was about uh, uh, the temples. So you said that uh, we should focus on the Buddhist, uh, you know, the monasteries and also the temples. But the Kashi Vishwanath uh, example is one where Modi was bashed from all sides. And uh, also, uh, you know, uh, people said that he is, he is communal and he's only focused on temples, plus the international media and all this stuff. So how do we go about that? I think the international media is best ignored in such cases. If, if we pay too much attention to them, that's what they want. They say something, we reply. They say something else and then it gets into a debate and that's what they want. It is my temple, it is my religion, and I shall handle it myself. I don't talk about Christianity, but how they, how they treat their, their churches or, t or, or, or places of worship. I never ask any question. It is not my business. It's nobody's business to talk about my religion unless he belongs to that religion. So let's not get too carried away by what 
the it's it's good to know what they're saying but it's not good to get carried away by what they're saying jo humko karna hai wo whatever the government wants to do they will do it what was the context of kashi vishwanath i don't remember now but on principle i think it is best that we are left alone to ourselves the indian media too was just bombarding with you know articles that they broke down a lot of uh, houses to build this corridor and mostly they were muslims uh, houses and uh, they didn't pay them compensation and a lot of false narratives was peddled that was exactly what was being done there those are issues i don't think i can competently answer because I really don't know what happened in in those places i just would like to have a small question one uh, what do you think of the think tanks which we have in our country today how effective are they in really going into the issues problems which confront us on the security issue or the strategic issues and how responsive is the government of india and we know the bureaucracy is very what is called but it closed it's a closed affair uh, now that, for instance you yourself you are out of it today you have a problem in uh, getting back to it even giving giving any advice so do we need more active think tanks do we need more the number of think tanks and should the government increase think tanks i think uh, the answer to all of your questions ram krishna is yes when you talk about think tanks we need more think tanks we need more think tanks not just who are based in delhi and uh, bombay or calcutta or chennai but in the smaller cities my own impression was that when i went uh, one of my uh, talking about my previous book i had gone to hyderabad and the response there from the youngsters in hyderabad was phenomenal i felt that here is a kind of uh, a need among the among the young who want to know more but perhaps don't have adequate avenues to express themselves or to learn what we also don't have in our country are public libraries in the west you have massive libraries free access to knowledge which is very essential if you want to widen our horizons and uh, think tanks of different kinds some concentrating only on security aspects some doing economics some doing just pure research 
Some can be think tanks that give you, you know, applied research that give you ideas what to do next. That this is how your policy could take shape. Kind of policy aiders, not formers, not formulating policy, but aiding to policy. Military think tanks, science think tanks, technology think tanks. These are, this is where our, our brains should be used. And the, for that, there must be opportunities. And this comes mostly from philanthropy. It can't come only from the government. Because anything that comes from government then becomes governmental. Then becomes signing on the dotted line. You know, that if I, if I, if I write somebody criticizing the government, how can I do that? Because uh, government has funded me and I'm right criticizing government. That's not how it should be. So there is, uh, there is a crying need for more think tanks. And there is also, in the early days, think tanks were treated, uh, treated as a, you know, a good pastime for, uh, for jobless or retired fellows to go and sit down and think. But nobody paid much attention to it. But now I think it is changing. There is a consciousness in the government that they task think tanks. We want you to study this aspect of the problem and come up with a recommendation. Because governments themselves don't have much time. I know a civil servant does most of his work is day-to-day -day fighting. He, he has little time to think of 10 years ahead. Besides, it's beyond his tenure. <laughs> so why should he think beyond his tenure? Three, three years, next, next posting. So we have to have continuity. We have to have accessibility. We've got to have mobility. If we can have these three combinations, richly endowed libraries and think tanks are the crying need for this country. Let, let some big business house establish a huge library. Maybe his father's name or doesn't matter whose name. Have a library where it's accessible to everybody with state-of-the-art facilities. You don't have to borrow books, take books home. You just sit down and read it there like on Kindle. And that's, that is good enough. And it has to be largely Indian. So that's how I would uh, try and inculcate. You know, and international relations in universities should be made an attractive course to pursue. Most of the kids want to do business administration and IT and get out and get a good job. But who is going to do the thinking for us if all the young minds are devoted to just making money? My question is, uh, uh, 
regarding setting of internal narratives are we doing the correct thing uh, just to quote you two examples one was the uh, the time when china stand up was happening where uh, one press after the other went on claiming different things like we have lost 5000 kilometers some went to say 15000 kilometers and at the end the commoner is uh, caught somewhere in between so what makes uh, what will it make to bring all this uh, all the uh, opinions together and one opinion stands out and another thing is in your first book uh, you dealt a, dealt in deep regarding deep states so what do you consider as a deep state within our country does it have any say in the i mean we don't know exactly i mean you are the best <coughs> i don't think we have a deep state here we have we have a collection of interests but we don't have a deep state which manipulates and twists the governments and takes them around makes them do things that that they don't know they are doing but uh, yes, there are there are strong there have been strong interest groups which uh, which pull in different directions that happens in every every democracy there's nothing uh, unusual about it as far as uh, media management and management of uh, events as you mentioned about china or any other instance i yeah, i did find that we were we were quite uh, amateurish about it and uh, there has to be every kind of occasion one nodal point that if there is an incident regarding china this will be replies will come only from the ministry of external affairs if there is a problem on uh, say riots in delhi only the ministry of home affairs will reply nobody else will but here we have you know the tv channels we have newspaper reporters shoving a mic in your face and saying tell me what how do you feel about it so and then everybody wants to give his own opinion i remember when 2008 Uh, happened in mumbai everybody had an opinion everybody was saying i've seen terrorists there i've seen the the energy paratroopers landing and and the so and so room there are people hiding you know and everybody and all that is being heard by the enemy because it's live tv so those are things that we can't afford to happen a state must at all times of crisis seem to be in control not only be in control but seem to be in control the perception that it's all right we will overcome 
must reach the common man as soon as possible if you want to fight the battle. But if you are going to give a confused version or a scary version, then then, then you're doing a disservice to not only the country, but actually to the soldier or the man on the ground who's fighting the battle. So uh, that has it has to be skillful manipulation management. And possibly they they do have, I don't know, designated uh, persons who do this kind of job. I remember when our uh, COVID thing happened, we had this very young youngster uh, officer, Minister of Health, I think. He was very, very good. He gave the replies precisely. There was no panic. There was no hurry. It was accurate. And, uh, you know, you felt, you felt self-assured that we're all right. We'll, we'll get over it. That's, that's the kind of thing you need. Instead of too many people jumping in with uh, their versions of the whole thing. One incident, one version. That's it.